The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. When I was growing up, the weather seemed a little bit more moderate and predictable. The winters were snowy. Kids would bundle up in bulky snowsuits just to walk to school. The summers were warm with intermittent rainy days that were just perfect for reading a book or daydreaming about the future. But since then, things have changed. Today in Toronto, we now have winters with almost no snow. We have summers with very little rain. The soil is sometimes so dry and crispy, it's a wonder that anything can grow here at all. But we in Toronto have nothing to complain about. Some people live in extreme climates that are only getting worse due to the changing climate, and yet they manage to grow fruit trees and other crops. My guest today is one of them. Greg Peterson lives in the low desert of Phoenix, Arizona, where the summer temperatures can soar above 100 degrees Fahrenheit. In Phoenix, the extreme heat can literally cook unripened fruit right on the tree. But that doesn't stop Greg from growing fruit trees. He grows over 70 fruit trees on his urban farm, and he's created the Urban Farm Fruit Tree Education Program, in which he distributes thousands of fruit trees to homeowners in his city every single year. Greg even offers a money-back guarantee if the trees don't survive. And more importantly, he gives his buyers the education they need to ensure that they know how to keep their trees healthy and productive despite the extreme heat. Greg also has a popular podcast at urbanfarmpodcast.com and he offers online courses for you wherever you live. You can check them out at urbanfarm.org. In today's show, Greg will tell us the secrets he's learned over the years about growing fruit trees in extreme climates. But before we dig into today's topic, I would love to hear from you. Is the climate making your fruit tree growing adventure a little more challenging? 
If you email us during the show today with a question or a comment, or even if you just email us to say hi, you can win today's prize, which is a book called 100% Natural Organic Pest Control for Home and Garden by Tom Roberts, and it's valued at $12.95. So when you email us, remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. Send your email to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com, and we look forward to seeing your email. And now to Greg. Welcome to the show today. Hello. Thanks for having me again. It's so great to have you back. And today we're going to talk about growing fruit trees in extreme climates. Now, you live in Phoenix, Arizona. In yeah. what way is the climate extreme? <laughs> well, uh, it is 2020. And this year, uh, we beat the record of uh, temperatures over 110. Our previous record was 33 days over 110 degrees. And we went well over 55 days. Uh, we also had our warmest month ever in July, only to be beat by our warmest month ever in August. And it's, it's the extreme heat that's getting things. We have things here called saguaro cacti. They live to be hundreds of years old. They're 30 or 40 feet tall. And literally, there are reports of them. It is so dry this summer. We got no rain, by the way. It is so dry this summer that the saguaros, which are used to living in this heat and drought conditions, are falling over dying. So, yeah. Wow. It's, so it's how? Do, and that's extreme. And how does that affect fruit trees? Well, it affects everybody and everything. In mm. you know, just the, that kind of heat slows things down. Um, what it does to the fruit trees is it literally cooks them in the ground. So we, we have to do um, many things in order to successfully grow fruit trees, uh, which is, you know, I've been growing fruit trees here in Phoenix for 45 years. Um, and I've learned a lot, especially in the past five years about, uh, you know, extreme care because we've had to go there. Otherwise, the trees just don't make it. Wow. So when you say it cooks them in the ground, essentially they will die if you do not care for them properly. Correct. I tell yeah. people when they come to me and say, you know, is this a good place to plant a fruit tree? I say, go out there on August 15th and stand there for 30 minutes in the afternoon and that'll let you know. Um, but there are things that can be done to mitigate the heat. Uh, it's just, it, it's a process. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We, um, we've got so much to talk about. We've got, well, let's dive in with, does your choice of a fruit tree make a difference? Uh, so do some survive better than others? Are there specific extreme fruit trees that really like that kind of challenge? Um, yes and no. Uh, when it comes to the stone fruits and apples, no, not really. It's us, up to us to make sure that we uh, transform the space so it's not so hot. The yes part is, is that mulberries, figs, pomegranates, quince, um, yeah, those kinds of trees are less susceptible to the heat, but they're still susceptible to the heat. So we still have to manage the planting and the 
the grow out of them in a particular way. Okay. So how would you advise, you are supplying 5,000 fruit trees a year to mm -hmm. folks in the greater Phoenix area. Mm -hmm. What trees are you giving them? Like, how do you choose a fruit tree that is going to survive with that kind of heat and that kind of dry condition? Well, it's, so there's two questions here, really. First of all, there's how does a tree survive? And that's all up to us. We have very specific strategies to make sure that your fruit trees will thrive in the heat. That's number one. Number two, second part of the question is we have to pick the right trees. There are three key pieces that people have to take into consideration. This is no matter where you live. Uh, to make sure that you the trees that you actually plant are going to thrive and produce fruit. The reason I started my fruit tree education program 20 some years ago was because I discovered that we can go into most big box, most nurseries in every big box store, and they will sell you a fruit tree that will never make fruit here. And I suspect that's the case wherever you live. So there are I just want to agree with you completely. Yeah. Um, when I started growing fruit trees, it was the same thing. Mm -hmm. the, the, the fruit tree nurseries are more for aspirational growers. Gee, I wish I could grow a, a Bosque pear, right? I wish I didn't need to use chemicals to grow it. So I, but, but you do. And so they give you what they think you want mm -hmm. rather than what will grow well in your garden. So I totally agree with you on that. So the three key pieces of that are chill hours. So you in Toronto get many more chill hours than we do here in Phoenix. So we have to use low chill trees to plant them to make sure that we actually get fruit. Chill is anything under about 38, 39 degrees Fahrenheit. And each tree needs a certain amount of chill hours in order to set fruit. So it's really key that you understand how many chill hours you get. We get about 350 hours here in the desert. And a fruit tree that you're looking at, if you look at the tag on the fruit tree and it doesn't say how many chill hours it needs, I wouldn't buy that tree. Mm -hmm. So chill hours, chill hours is key. The problem with planting low chill trees up in Toronto is that they're low chill. Low chill trees typically bud out early. Our trees, our fruit trees are budding out in mid-February here. And I'm, I'm sure in Toronto, um, it's still dead of winter in mid-February. So right. if you're planting a low chill tree up there, it, it may very well live, but you're probably not getting any fruit. So understanding chill hours, how many chill hours you get in your community, in your area, and making sure that you have a tree that is the correct amount of chill hours for your area. So just as an example, go ahead. You were going to ask me something? Yeah, I was just going to say, point is, I want to go into your example. So our first point is chill hours. Very important. I just want to say that we got an email here. Um, let's see. It's from Denise. Hello, Susan and guest. I just wanted to say I'm listening from Alma, Quebec. Love your radio show as usual. Yay. Nice. <laughs> Please stay healthy. Thank you so much, Denise, for writing us. That's wonderful. Okay. So the chill hour example you were going to tell us. Yeah. So chill hours, uh, we get a 
approximately 350 hours of chill here in Phoenix. So we need a fruit tree that is sub 350 hours chill. So to your question about trees that will actually produce fruit here, there are only about two dozen, maybe three dozen fruit trees, stone fruits, apples, um, berries, grapes that will actually make fruit at the low chill arena. Very key, you've got to know your chill hours and make sure that you buy appropriate trees for those that amount of chill hours. Okay, so chill hours was point number one. Point number two. Point number two is rootstock. You need to do the education for yourself to make sure that you know the right and appropriate rootstocks for your area. Often what will happen, especially with the big box stores, they'll call a grower and they'll say, hey, we'll take 3,500 Santa Rosa plums on XYZ rootstock. XYZ isn't a rootstock. It's just an example of a rootstock. And um, they'll take those 3,500 Santa Rosa plums and they'll ship some to Phoenix and some to Los Angeles and some to Seattle, all on the same rootstock. The thing is, the rootstock that grows in Seattle or Toronto is going to be different than the rootstocks that are for Phoenix. So you need to understand the rootstocks that are appropriate for your area and then buy appropriately. So that's interesting because what you're telling us empowers us wherever we live. Like in other right. words, in Phoenix, you guys probably need a certain rootstock that can handle hot conditions, maybe mm -hmm. drier soil, maybe mm -hmm. sandier soil. And I might need something for clay soil for a certain amount of moisture, whatever. Exactly. So that's awesome. Rootstock is number two. Do you have a third point? I do. The third point is make sure that you get a fruit tree that actually is designed to make fruit. Mm-hmm. One of my neighbors about 10 years ago went into a local nursery, bought a pomegranate, brought it home. Five years later, emailed me and said, Greg, I'm only getting pomegranates that are this size. Turns out it was a ornamental pomegranate. <sighs> oh, that must be so disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, you have to do, um, in my online workshop in the Certificate in Fruit Tree Care, I actually spend two hours with people training them and how to choose a fruit tree. And and people kind of don't really understand, well, why? I just want to pick one that, that produces something yummy, but it's like a minefield. It is. You really have to go through the steps. Uh, we have. Hmm? Go ahead, please. Well, I was just going to say, we just have another email here. Hello, folks. Isn't watering and irrigation the main factors in having good quality, healthy fruit trees? Thank you. Oh, I live in Collingwood, Ontario. So let's see, do we have a name? Dwayne. Thank Dwayne. you, Dwayne. Interesting point. What do you think about that, Greg? Absolutely. Watering is a key piece. And more often than not, people overwater their trees. And there's a problem with watering that you have to be cognizant of. And that is that an overwatered tree and an underwatered tree, the damage looks the same. Uh -huh. So what, you know, you're watering your tree and all of a sudden it starts drooping a little bit. What's the first thing we think? Needs more water. It needs more water. So that you water it a little bit more and it droops a little bit more. And then what do you do? You add more water. So there's a very specific watering methodology that I've put in place for here in the desert. 
and it'll work for anybody anywhere. Uh, and the way, so here in the desert, we encourage people to water their trees once a month in the cold season. So that includes fall, winter, and spring, and twice a month in the hot season. Now that may not seem like enough, but that is a great place to start. So trees generally go in when they're dormant. So watering them once a month when they're dormant is plenty of water. And so that's, let's say you're planting in January, February, or March, the tree's dormant. You're watering it once a month. Fast forward to June 1st. Here in June on June 1st, it's starting to get hot. We're watering twice a month now on June 1st. And what I tell people is, this is a guideline, once a month in the winter, twice a month in the summer. Then what you have to do is you actually have to get some tools out. You have to get a soil probe or a moisture meter or both of them and watch the tree. You need to make sure that you are cognizant of what the tree needs. And if you've been watering once a month in the winter, twice a month in the summer, and it's June 15th, or June 10th, because you watered it on June 1st, it's June 10th, and the tree starts drooping a little bit, use your moisture meter, check to see if it needs water, and it's likely that you're going to need to water it at that point if it's drooping, because this method assures you that you're not overwatering your tree. That's fantastic. Actually, recently with us, uh, you know, because our soil conditions are so different, it can be very different. One thing mm -hmm. that I see is people putting a sprinkler on their tree every day, just oh a little gosh. bit yep. where it doesn't, you know, our trees need very deep watering yep. and you put a little bit of sprinkle on the soil. A, it doesn't do anything for the roots and B, you're wetting the leaves and you can get fungal diseases. So irrigation is a great topic. And I really appreciate that question. Mm -hmm. We have a comment from Facebook. This is Carl from Northwest Florida. So Carl explains in his email that climates, extreme climates are not always hot and dry. He says, yep. a warm and ex extremely moist climate can be very hard on many fruit trees. This year was hard on my trees with drought, then torrential rains. Hurricane Sally brought us 20 inches in a day, for example. Wow. So that's a challenge. That's pretty extreme. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess you've never experienced anything like that, but what would you say to Carl? So the most, actually the most rain that we've ever gotten here at once in my rec, in my 30 years of living on this property was three inches in two hours. And the way that I've designed my property, it, it soaked it up like a sponge. So when you get that kind of water, you have to start thinking not about a fruit tree, but about your landscape in general and what kinds of things can you do to mitigate that kind of extreme amount of water. And one of the things that Tom Spellman at Dave Wilson Nursery does is they actually will plant trees in raised beds. And it Same. works really well. If you go to Fruit Tube on YouTube, uh, you can find videos of Tom talking about this exact topic where they're actually putting in raised beds that are 12 to 14 inches taller. They're planting the trees in that raised bed so that when all the um, great amount of water comes, it doesn't drown the tree. The water 
you know, seeps out of the bed and to the surrounding areas. That's an incredible idea. Mm -hmm. Also in a recent show that I did on cover crops, I had a mm -hmm. scientist talk about how cover crops can actually suck out a lot of that moisture and they've yes. done some tests. Mm -hmm. So instead of planting your fruit trees in a grassy area, you've got your cover crops and people should listen back to that show. She talks about different cover crops for different purposes. Um, but that's another really clever way, like with these more extreme climates, as our climates change, we have to keep up on the newest information, the newest studies, the newest ideas and be mm -hmm. creative. Right. Um, so that is great. I'm so glad that Carl shared his story. I have one more. I have one more solution for this that works as well as the raised bed and the cover crops. And that is woody mulch. So remember, I said that I got three and a half inches. It was uh, September of 2014. We got three and a half inches in two hours. There was massive flooding here in Phoenix. The streets were flooded. People's houses were flooded with three and a half inches just because we're not always prepared for that. And remember what I said? I said my yard sucked it up. My yard is like a sponge. And one of the things that I've done here at the Urban Farm is I've added many, many years of and many, many layers of woody mulch. And you can go, there's a service out there called Chip Drop. You can find it at chipdrop.com. They will coordinate with you and a tree service to dump a load of woody mulch in your driveway for generally for free. And that woody mulch, if you put down six inches or eight inches or 10 inches or 12 inches of woody mulch throughout your entire property, it acts like a great big sponge and it'll soak up I don't know, maybe not 20 plus inches, but it'll soak up a lot of that. So that's another possibility. What a fantastic idea. Okay, so let's see, we got another email here from Gloria. Hi, thanks for the fantastic tips and tricks. When is the best time to prune fruit trees? Thanks, living in Hamilton, Ontario. Ah, all right, well, that might be more of a question for you. <laughs> Actually, can... yeah, go ahead. Actually, please. Uh, I just people ask that question a lot. And it's an amazing question, because mm -hmm. when you prune your fruit trees depends on what your goal is. Do mm -hmm. you want to spur growth in your fruit tree and make it grow bigger? Do you want to slow down growth? So for uh, Gloria, go to Orchard People and then search under the words when to prune fruit trees, or you could just do in your Google Orchard People when to prune and I talk about the pros and cons of each season and mm -hmm. when you prune it. So just quickly here in our cold kind of weather, if you prune in the late winter or early spring, it actually, in a way, it spurs growth. It makes it a little tree will grow bigger and stronger because it has less uh, branches to support. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you prune in this, the early summer, um, sometimes my cherry tree, I'll prune it you know, when we are harvesting it even, mm -hmm. but that will slow down growth. So your big cherry tree will stay small. And that article explains why. So what's your strategy in Arizona on pruning? Um, pretty close to what you do. We do summer pruning to help manage the size of trees because often trees can grow 10, 15 feet in a season here. And we like we subscribe to backyard orchard culture which is keeping our trees small 
you know, eight to 10 feet tall. So you can pick them basically standing on a step stool or standing on the ground. And a lot of that tree size management is done in the summertime. Yep. So go ahead. We manage for size in the summer and a little bit, not a lot. You don't want to do major prunings in the summer, especially in the low desert. Uh, but we'll, so we'll manage for size in the summertime and then we'll do the, um, you know, cross branch pruning and that in the winter um, when the tree's dormant and we can actually see the structure of the tree. Exactly. Wonderful. Well, let's take a moment now and hear a few words from our sponsors. We are so grateful for the sponsors that help to keep this show running. So are you okay, Greg, holding on for a minute or two? Great. Okay, wonderful. You are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. And we will be back right after the break. G'day gardeners, it's JJ here, your Aussie gardening expert. We all know young, newly planted trees need to be watered deeply and regularly to kickstart growth. But correct irrigation just isn't as easy as you would think. Sprinklers waste bucket loads of water and they wet the leaves and branches which can result in the spread of nasty fungal diseases. At Greenwell, we have a system to direct the water deep down into the soil to the roots of your trees where it's needed most. But watering takes time. So municipalities across North America, Europe and Australia are now saving time and money by using Greenwell water savers for newly planted trees. So why don't you? Dig the easy to install recycled plastic rings into the soil around your young trees. Then each week, you can fill the rings with up to 50 litres of water and that water filters deep down into the root system where it is needed. Think of Greenwell Water Savers as your insurance policy for young trees. Learn more at greenwellwatersavers.com. If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca.
Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. And in today's episode, we've been talking about growing fruit trees in extreme climates. My guest today has lots of experience with that. Greg Peterson of urbanfarm.org lives in the low desert conditions of Phoenix, Arizona, and he grows more than 70 fruit trees on his urban farm. He also distributes thousands of fruit trees each year to growers in the greater Phoenix area. So, How does he keep those trees alive during the sweltering summers when the temperature is often over 100 degrees Fahrenheit? In the first part of the show, we talked about the importance of choosing the right trees, but there are also other important factors and we're going to talk about those next. But first, I wanna hear from you. Is your climate becoming more extreme? Tell us about it or write us a question, write a question for Greg. Either way, we want to enter you into today's contest to win the handy little book, 100% Natural Organic Pest Control for Home and Garden by Tom Roberts, and it's valued at $12.95. So to enter the contest, just send your email to instudio101 at gmail.com, and do remember to include your first name and where in the world you are writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. Now back to Greg. So Greg, once you have the right tree, is there a way to plant it to help ensure that it's going to be able to survive in the dry and hot conditions that you have? You said ensure, and I don't know that I would go as far as saying ensure, but definitely give it a major limb up. And that's how we go about planting it is uh, is is a key piece of it. And we have dirt here. Dirt is one component of healthy soil. Mostly 99.9% of our soil here is just dirt. And that creates a problem if we're trying to plant a fruit, really plant any tree. So we have less than 1% organic matter in our soils. And so healthy soil, there's five components of healthy soil, dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. So when you're planting a tree, no matter where you're planting a tree, you need to make sure that you have a nice mix of nutrients and organic matter in your hole. So in Toronto, you might have a whole lot more organic material in your soils. That's, you know, humus and... Uh, compost and that kind of stuff. We don't have that here. So what I tell people to do here in Phoenix in the low desert is when you dig your hole, first of all, have you heard this before? Dig a square hole. Have you, did you ask me, have I ever dug a square hole? 
Or have you heard Not that? necessarily. I've never thought of that. Ah, so what can happen, especially in the desert, because we our soils are so hard, is that if you dig a round hole, the tree can become tr uh, root bound in that hole mm. because our soils are so hard. So what we've started doing is we've started suggesting people dig square holes so that when the roots get to the you know, the, the corner, they're not gonna make a 90 degree turn, they're gonna continue growing out. So oh. dig a square hole. When you dig your hole, and we generally suggest a good size hole is two feet by two feet by a foot deep, and then you have to adjust for the tree. You take 40% of the native soil that's in the hole and 60% planting mix that's in the hole and mix it in a wheelbarrow. Planting mix is usually has compost, cocoa peat, um, perlite, it has soil-like materials in there to add organic matter into the hole. Additionally, what we highly suggest people do is that they add a pound of azomite. Azomite is a micronutrient. They also, it's also called green sand, um, rock dust, but it's, azomite actually has 70 different kinds of micronutrients built into it. And so a pound of azomite a pound of worm castings. Worm castings are, well, they're gardener's gold, and an ounce of mycorrhiza. Mycorrhiza is the fungal and microbial life that, that attaches to the tree roots that has them survive. So what we do is we put all that mixture in the wheelbarrow, mix it up real good, put some of it in the bottom of the hole, put your tree in the hole, and we always suggest that people plant the tree on a mound in the center and then put a six foot diameter basin like a moat around it and fill that with six to eight to 10 inches of woody mulch. Ooh, I love the moat idea. Yeah. So tell me what's the purpose of having your tree a little bit higher and that little beautiful donutty moat around, around it. it. So by planting the tree higher on uh, in the middle, if it settles, it doesn't settle down to the grade of where the woody mulch is at. Because the thing that you don't want to do, especially in wetter climates, is put woody mulch right up against the trunk of your tree. Absolutely. That's the main reason to plant it on, uh, on a mound in the middle and then put the moat around it. And the woody mulch is magic. It breaks down it very quickly at the interface between the dirt and the woody mulch, it starts breaking down into this amazing soil and creates a microclimate under the tree that the roots of the tree, especially the feeder roots of the tree, absolutely love. Wow, that's fantastic. I love it because what I see and my arborist friends get very triggered by trees that have been planted too deeply. Yep, And that happens a lot when you're actually burying the trunk, mm -hmm. insects can bore in there and mm -hmm. the trunk can rot. So by doing your little mound technique with your little moat, mm -hmm. um, you are actually going to be making sure you're not planting too deeply. Exactly. Now, a lot of people listening to the show may say, okay, I did it all wrong. I chose the wrong tree. Mm. I didn't plant it with a moat. Is there anything that they can do at that point to help protect their trees from extreme climates? Yeah. What do you do in Arizona to protect your trees from extreme climates? 
Well, so first of all, um, if you planted the wrong tree for your climate, you know, you may very well have a really nice tree. It, it may very well not make any fruit. So then at that point, you have to make a choice. Do I want to have a nice tree in my yard or what, do I want fruit? So that's step number one to take. If for some reason the, tr the tree's already in and say it's settled a little bit, what I'll do is I'll take bricks, concrete blocks, bricks or something, and I'll make a ring around the trunk of the tree, you know, within three or four inches of the trunk to hold back the woody mulch so that the woody mulch doesn't, um, you know, get right up against the trunk. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, there's that. And then uh, you can always put in a moat around your tree after the fact. You have to be a little bit cognizant of the roots that are there. But if I had a tree already planted, say, in a lawn, which is problematic because lawn water, you mentioned earlier, lawn watering is the wrong way to water a tree. So if you already have a tree that's planted in a lawn, what I would do with it is I would go in and take out four to six inches of the lawn in a six foot diameter basin around the tree, being really cognizant of the roots that are in that area. You don't wanna make any major damage, but a little bit of damage is called root pruning. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And then take the azomite, the mycorrhiza and the worm castings and spread them in your moat that you have created on the bottom, along with organic fertilizer. And I would do this as the tree is budding out. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. put six inches of woody mulch in there. Again, making sure that you keep, put some kind of barrier around the trunk so that the um, woody mulch doesn't get up against the trunk. So that if you've already planted a tree, that would be my solution. I think that's a nice solution. And I think, Greg, you have developed nice personal relationships with your trees because you are <laughs> listening to them and they're telling you when they're budding out they're saying daddy we're hungry <laughs> right? we have lots to do this year we have to make flowers we have to make leaves and we have to make fruit could you please give us some nibbles mm -hmm. and what you're saying is early spring is the perfect time to give them yep. a beautiful beautiful like that beautiful mulch and some really nice nutritious yeah. So that's lovely. And I, I think you'll, we, oh, sorry, go I, ahead. Think, I think you'll find, and I've seen it over and over and over again, when people do that, their trees absolutely explode with life. Oh, I, I'm telling you one time we had leaf mold mm. and we, and I guess we made some leaf mold one year. I gave it to the trees and I literally saw the trees just jumping out and getting into action. It was incredible how quick it was. You could almost watch them growing. Yeah. So they so, totally respond to the care. Absolutely. So leaf mold isn't a bad thing. This is leaves that have kind of cured a little bit and you're putting them in the basin around the tree. Yes. Oh, so no. People, so people don't think leaf mold. Oh, my gosh, my tree mm. got leaf mold. Oh, of course. Yes. Leaf mold is sort of like uh, composted leaves, let's say. Exactly. And it's, they, well, at least my personal fruit trees find mm -hmm. it delicious. They love it. Okay. We have another email here. Um, and this is from Irene. Hello. I absolutely love the idea of the moat. Can I add, oh, 
Crocs, <laughs> I love this. Can I add Crocs and Gators to that moat as well? Only kidding. It's a good oh. idea. <laughs> Listening to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Irene in Milwaukee, do you have any crocodiles that you would like to put in the moat? I don't know. <laughs> and and do you, Greg, have crocodiles in your moats? No. Oh, no. come on. I know, right? But you know I, what? I, we brought you on the show because you're so exotic, living in this incredible <laughs> climate. Okay. We love you anyways. I think Irene loves you too. Oh, so <laughs> even if you don't have alligators and crocodiles. Well, so when, when she said that, I my mind's, you know, I have a extra screen over here. It's like, all right, I'm going to start searching for Crocs and see if that's a product yeah is that that's a product? Where my mind yeah, went exactly <laughs> you get you got she got you there, there you i've go. got a really interesting story here we'll keep eye on the time yeah we've got some commercials coming up but here's an interesting email from armand from california or this is a facebook post hi susan i live in ojai california Summer gets very hot in August and September, and at that time, I completely lose plants and trees. So I was thinking that it might be a good idea to plant a large tree shading my fruit trees from the west sun, the western sun, from the western sun that fries the, the leaves, that the sun fries the leaves. Is mm -hmm. this a good idea? Also, in the winter, I have problems with frost that also kills some plants and trees your help would be appreciated. So what would you say to Armand from California? Absolutely, plant Western shade without a doubt, get it done as soon as you can. I call that grown shade as opposed to paid for shade. Paid for shade is shade cloth or putting up some kind of shade structure. And for temporary shade structures are good, definitely you want to uh, plant here in the desert, I like native mesquites or native Palo Verdes. They grow fairly fast and they provide a dappled shade. But Western shade is imperative, especially in places like Arizona and Ojai. Isn't that fantastic? Like, it's, again, these are creative solutions because mm -hmm. here in Toronto, when I go and visit community orchards that have been planted sort of in a tiny corner and there's shade, for us, it's not a good idea right? Because our trees need more sun. Yep. So again, it's like building that Greg relationship with his fruit trees, getting to know what do my trees need in my unique climate. Mm -hmm. And so these conversations will help us all make the right decisions for our own trees. And I want to continue on. So Armand continues on here. He says, this is an alternative to planting a tree or maybe an addition. He says, I'm interested in a tarp that I can permanently cover my orchard with uh, to protect them from the six or eight weeks of intense sun that burns them. Mm -hmm. Also, the same tarp should be able to protect these same trees and plant plants from six to eight weeks of frost. He also says, I'm considering building a tunnel for them to also protect my fruits from the birds. The concern is that I don't block the bees from entering to pollinate. I suppose mm. I can open the sides in the spring, question mark. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to get you to answer that. But just in terms of the tunnel, I have been looking to find an expert to talk to on this show about fruit tunnels. And I will, guys, I really want to because it's a great topic. It but is. in the meantime, tell us about what you think about his idea with the tarp. Um, we've put up tarp structures before and they help. 
There's a place here in Arizona called Arizona Bag. They will custom manufacture you a uh, tarp for your the size and shape that you want it. So that's AZ, AZ Bag or Arizona Bag. You can check with them. Um, I have a tendency, because I'm a lazy gardener and a lazy orchardist, I have a tendency to only plant things that aren't affected by the frost. Hmm. So all of our deciduous trees that we plant, deciduous trees lose their leaves in the winter. All of our deciduous trees aren't bothered by the frost that we get. Uh, the citrus trees that we plant aren't bothered by the frost that we get. I, you know, I've tried uh, mangoes here with moderate success, uh, with little success on the mangoes, and they're a little bit more uh, frost sensitive, but I am a big plan of planting things that aren't going to be impacted by the frost, whether it's, you know, our, our winter garden or our fruit trees. So that, that's the strategy that I take with it. I think it's a great strategy. The more planning you can do in advance, the more deep thinking you do before you even plant your trees, mm-hmm. the better your experience is going to be. Otherwise, you can do it how I did it, which make just make lots of mistakes, do it all over again. <laughs> Ten years later, you're finally like, oh, that's what I should have done. Mm-hmm. So, well, the good the good news is when we plant a tree and it dies. Now you know what not to do. Pay attention exactly. To that. And Pay the great thing that. is that I get to tell everybody else, guys, I did this. You don't have right. to do this now. So right. I'm making this mistake for you guys out there. You know, you can say thank you to me for making all the mistakes I've done. So there you right. go. And that's what I suspect. That's what your education is about. And that's what all of our education is about here at the Urban Farm. You know, we during this time of year, we offer all kinds of free urban orcharding classes for people to to help discover how to do fruit trees. And that's really the basis of it is to make sure that uh, we experiment and you can be successful. Exactly. So why don't you give, we're going to go to a commercial break in one minute, but why do, is there a link that people should go to to find out more about free education with you guys? Go to fruittrees.org. That's our main page. And then on that page, you will see a, an events link and just go to the events and you can see all of our classes that we're giving. Perfect. That's wonderful. Fruittrees.org. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Now we have more to talk about in this show. We've got a few more points that we want to bring up and we want to answer more questions. If you guys send in some questions to instudio101 at gmail.com, you can win our prize today if you email us and you can email us to say hi. I always love that. But we have uh, a word from our sponsors. So let's go do that for a minute and we will be back right after the break. You are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Education website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner. We'll be back very soon. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. 
You can learn about adding nitrogen fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Whiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Hi everyone. Congratulations on investing in a new fruit tree. Fruit trees are a blessing. With just a bit of skilled hands-on care, they can give you plenty of delicious organic fruit for years to come. I'm Susan Poisner, an urban orchardist from Toronto, Canada. And over the years, I've learned that how we care for our trees when they're young will determine their success and productivity in the long term. If you do want to learn more, there's lots more that I would love to teach you like how to prune fruit trees of all shapes, ages, and sizes, how to optimize tree health, and various different ways to protect your trees from pests and disease. So check out my website at orchardpeople.com where you can watch free videos and read great blogs about growing fruit trees. Or you can check out my online certificate in beginner fruit tree care where in just eight hours, including fun and informative videos, interactive quizzes, and information-packed eBooks, you can learn how to keep your tree healthy and productive for years to come. Happy growing from orchardpeople.com. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. Send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. So my guest on the show today is Greg Peterson from urbanfarm.org. And each year he sells thousands of fruit trees direct to the public and he offers them fruit tree care education as well for free so that their fruit tree growing experience will be a success. Our topic today is growing fruit trees in harsh climates. Is the climate in Arizona harsh? The desert heat is really hot, so much so it can cook the fruit growing on your trees even before it ripens. So how do you grow fruit trees successfully in these conditions? Well, we've chatted earlier in the show about choosing the right tree. We chatted about planting it, and we even chatted about how in some cases you want to provide your tree with some shade. 
Well, we have some other pointers we're going to talk about now before our show comes to an end. So we also want to answer your questions. If you send us an email in the next few minutes to instudio101 at gmail.com, we will enter you into today's contest to win the book 100% Natural Organic Pest Control for Home and Garden by Tom Roberts, valued at $12.95. So email us right now at instudio101 at gmail.com. Remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. So Greg, we have talked about lots of different things. We talked about shade and the right trees, but are there any other tricks that you use to protect your fruit trees from extreme climates? Absolutely. And this was, a, this was for me, one of those things that I smacked my forehead about three or four years ago. So remember, I said I've been growing fruit trees here in the valley for over 40 years. And you know, sometimes things just don't come to me. I was talking with Janice, who is the manager of the fruit tree program and a friend of mine, Ryan, in 2017 about soil temperatures. And so I bought one of those soil temperature guns that you point at the ground. And I went out in the front yard at about three o'clock in the afternoon in August of 2017. And I pointed it at the ground and it was 140 degrees at ground level. Wow. That's and I hard. dug down six, yeah, I dug down six inches and it was 120 degrees. That's enough to kill your trees. Well, 10 feet away, I had sweet potatoes growing. And when I pointed it at the ground underneath the sweet potatoes, it was 89 degrees. So planting a cover crop, we mentioned cover crops earlier, of some kind to shade the ground, just like you would plant a tree to shade the wall of your house, it's gonna do the same thing. It's gonna cool the space down. So we actually suggest two things here in the low desert uh, for shading the ground. And the important key here is to make sure that you're using something that is on the same watering schedule as your tree. So if you plant a watermelon underneath the tree, it needs to be watered every two or three days. If you plant sweet potatoes or cow peas, which are the two things that we suggest, they can go on the same watering schedule and they'll grow up nicely and spread out in the space and shade the ground underneath there. And that is a huge limb up for your trees. I love that it's a limb up. It's fantastic that it's a limb up. It's like me saying all the time, let's dig into that topic. (laughs) No, that's wonderful. That is a great tip. And again, I've got that uh, episode earlier on cover crops where Mm -hmm. it talks about in different regions, there might be a different crop for, for you, but what a great way to use them. So shading the soil to keep the soil cool so that the roots are comfortable. That sounds good. And what about, do you guys paint your tree trunks at all? I know we do that here. Is that yeah. a protective measure? Tell me a little bit about that. Yes. Yeah. So for here in the desert, what it, it does two things, two main things. The first thing it does is it protects it from getting sunburned. And I am a big fan of letting the tree grow more like a bush. So it actually shades itself. But until then, you want to paint the tree trunks. The second thing it does is it keep out, keeps out pests. borers and that kind of stuff that'll help keep pests out um so yes absolutely 
Uh, the other thing that we've gone to in the past couple of years that's really important is foliar feeding. Foliar feeding is feeding a, usually it's a kelp, humic uh, acid, or um, fish-based spray that you just spray right on the trunks and the leaves. And that goes a long way to helping the trees thrive as well. And that's no matter where you're at. Um, it'll, so your job as a grower of anything is to build healthy soil. Building healthy soil builds healthy plants and healthy plants, I've seen it over and over again in 45 years of growing things here, healthy plants are much less susceptible to pests. When you foliar fertilize, that increases their uh, health and decreases their susceptibility to pests. That is fantastic. Oh, you have shared so many great tips. Amazingly, it is time now for us to find it out who won the fast. contest. All it's right. Con- Let's yeah. Do it. It's like the end of the show. And we have Gary in the studio, who is our guy who's going to pick our prize winner. Nice. So, how do you feel about Gary picking the prize? Do we trust him to, to not take the prize himself? <laughs> Let's uh, yeah. Gary, well, can we trust you? I yes, know you really yes. wanted a book on the I know. I know. But I okay. do have I these do names. Too. Pick me, pick me. Okay. <laughs> let me let me just shake the little bucket where I put the paper, the little piece of paper I'm shaking here. And let me pull it out. And let's see. This would be ready. Denise O from Alma, Quebec. Yay for Denise. Congratulations. You get the book. That's wonderful. Nice. Denise, I'm going to send you an email and I will link you up with the company Book Pub Co, who is going to send you a copy of that nice little book. I hope you enjoy it. And thank you so much for writing in. Greg, last words from you. Do you want to share your website? Do you want to tell our listeners that you love them? Whatever you want to share right now, you can share. So when I was in uh, the seventh, eighth grade, I wrote a paper on how we were overfishing the oceans. It was like 1974. Gosh knows, I have no idea where that came from. And it's been my passion. And and I tell people all the time, I do this because I can't help myself. I think the the single most important thing that we can be doing right now is growing our own food and discovering where our food comes from. We have a three-day supply of food in any grocery store. And in March, we saw our grocery stores run out of food here in the States. Probably did up there as well. So that just you know, that just hits at home a little bit more. So grow healthy soil, learn how to grow your own gardens or uh, urbanfarm.org is my main website where you can find all of our classes. My fruit tree website is fruittrees.org. And, you know, I'm here to help. Like how, how can we grow more fruit? And you've got a fantastic podcast that goes out regularly. You've got yep. lots of episodes, you interview experts, so you've got tons of resources and I appreciate oh, you yeah. saying you do it because you can't help yourself. Right. I'm exactly the same. I'm a yep. little addicted. People may wonder right. why I keep doing this and I just can't help myself. Yep. So there you go. We've, we're job. people with a mission, I suppose. Yes. Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate yeah. it. It's been a few years. You'll come back again one day and good luck with everything you do. And thank you for sharing your wisdom with all of us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Good work. I love the work you do. Good job. Thank you. All right. Well, that's it for the show today. That was Greg Peterson of urbanfarm.org. Wasn't that fun? I really enjoyed that show today. 
Did you enjoy it? If so, I would love to ask you guys a favor. This podcast can be downloaded from a lot of different podcatchers like iTunes and Stitchers, Stitcher and shows with more ratings are more promoted to new viewers. So I would love it if you could go to your podcatcher and rate and review the show if you like it. Your ratings and feedback make me feel wonderful. And they will also help to bring more listeners to the show, making it possible for me to keep making it for years to come. So that's it for today's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. To listen again or to download other episodes, you can go to orchardpeople.com slash podcast. I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to digging into a new fruit tree care topic with you next month. See you later. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.